0: Your spirit till the on earth is done. Seated, please. It's a really exciting day. We're, we're proceeding on through First Peter uh, in the first chapter. If you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter 1. We're going to do just uh, 10, 11, and 12 today. That's three verses. We did part of prior to this on Wednesday night, and I'll. Repeat some of that, but not all of it, so uh, if you're not here on Wednesdays, you've missed a little bit, but I'm, I'm trying to fill in as I can. I want to talk today, it's an amazing passage, the privilege of our salvation. We have an experience with God, y'all, or we're supposed to have an experience with God when we're letting the Lord work in our lives and we have a oneness with Him and we're walking in the Spirit with Him where the angels long to look into what we're doing. Angels are just mystified by what we do. They marvel at what we do. I, I think even in the Greek it says they kind of tiptoe and lean over, like they're looking into that room to see what is happening here. On Friday night we sang around uh, Marianne Houston's uh, bed. Marianne is on hospice. That's Doreen's mom. There was—I mean, guess five or six of us. Some of y'all are here in this room. And I reminded them, we we prayed, we said, Lord, bring your angels to minister to her. And I said, guys, they are watching us, looking on what we're doing, marveling at the rich or redeemed angels. You know, the Lord extended grace to us even while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. I can tell I am getting cranked up today. Open your Bible to first Peter one, verse 10 through 12, and let's see what God's word says, and then let's take it apart and see what we can apply our lives. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. So there we have Peter, who is a Jew. He knows all of these prophecies. He's read the book. He's listened to them, and he's seen Jesus come, how he lined with the prophecies in the scripture that I'm sure Peter knew in his heart, and search carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. So the prophets prophesied of the grace that we would experience, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified before him the sufferings of Messiah, the sufferings of Christ, and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, and I'm going to include in us, us, okay, but to us they were ministering things which now had been reported to you To those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Lord, I just pray that today we talk to you, Lord, the way we appreciate you, the way we adore you, Lord, that they will look on as we experience the grace that you've extended to each of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray amen. Verse 13, he said, we do not mourn as those who have no hope. Can you give me an amen? I mourned the loss of my mother. I grieved the loss of my father, but I did not mourn and I did not grieve as those that have no hope because I knew there would be a day when in glory I would be reunited with them. All right. And that's, that's the promise that believers have because we serve a Jesus, a Messiah, who not only died for our sins on the cross and was buried, but he rose again from the dead. And, it, and Paul says that our living hope is birth Christ resurrected. Then what we're doing this morning is in vain. It means when I baptize Ruby and when Daryl baptizes Sarah, we should just leave him at the bottom of the tank, Right. If there's no resurrection, because when we're raised, we're raised, Ruby, we're raised, Sarah, into a newness of life that happens in and through you through the power of the Holy Spirit. As human beings, we're affected by emotions. We get sad, all right? We can be happy. We can feel a loss. We can feel depressed. Believe it or not, Christians get depressed, all right? Sometimes you even get oppressed. You never get possessed, okay? Make that clear, doctrinally. There's no room for a demon in you with the Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit of God in you, he's in there, all right? But we can get oppressed and feel depressed, and we have to remember that living a hope, a living hope is in stark contrast to how the world handles these things like depression and oppression and, and the problems that come their way. As I say, our living hope is based in the resurrection, and Peter told us on Wednesday night, you weren't here, that our response to that is praise and honor and glory to Jesus. So that means even when Nana was on her beginning of her deathbed, when Pastor Larry and I went and saw her and she was so discouraged and she poured out her heart. And then on Monday when I came back, all I could hear from her was praise and honor and glory to Jesus. Judy had a living hope. And if you don't have a living hope this morning, you need to get one. And the only way you're going to get it is if you get Jesus, because that's where your living hope comes from. Then on Wednesday, we looked a little bit at Thomas. Remember Doubting Thomas? You know, Scott is named after him, Scott Thomas Armstrong. He was a Doubting Thomas, okay? Scott's not a Doubting Thomas. And I, I brought this up because he ended up believing. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. I'm reading John 20, verse 29, and it's right up there. Wow, it's not up there. Blessed are those who have seen, have, have not seen, and yet have believed. So he says to us that we're precious when we believe. It's precious because we put our faith and we put our trust in him, him whom we've never seen. We've never seen him, yet we believe in him. And Peter tells us that we can rejoice in the fact that we are going to spend eternity with him. It gives me hope. I'm not excited about the process of dying cat laughs. He says, daddy, you're not afraid of dying. You just don't want to be there when it happens. And it's because it's the pain of going through the death. It's the hard part, but I believe, believe with all my heart that I'm going to be there with them. And so blessed are those that believe and have never seen. Amen. Blessed are those in here who have believed or I put, or read this sermon and hear this sermon. You're blessed. All right. So he goes on now in verse 10 that we start with today of this salvation the prophets have inquired. So Peter, this fisherman Jew, this uneducated Jew, he at least knew the scriptures. He says, Look, this is a salvation that prophets have inquired about. They searched carefully, they looked through the Torah, they tried to figure it out. They were trying to figure out what happens to us when we die. How do we have a relationship with the Lord? And he says, They prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Did you know that grace is in the Old Testament? Some people said grace didn't appear until the New Testament. Well, you're wrong, because I'm going to show you today it's a different kind of a grace than we experienced, but God showed his mercy and his grace even back in the beginning of of the recorded uh, adventure that the Jews had with him. They searched carefully. So many events, hundreds of events, and I've talked to you about these, foreshadow Jesus' coming in the Old Testament. Guys, it's filled with it. Told you the other day that the real thing was Jesus and the reflection on the floor or on the wall was all that stuff that we read about and the rules and the rituals that were in the Old Testament that that brought uh, them atonement for their sins, okay? When Jesus came, the real thing was here. Peter says that they even prophesied about grace that was coming to all. So, where can we find grace? Where can we find grace in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you two instances this morning. One is in the Abrahamic covenant. Anybody not know what the Abrahamic covenant is? Raise your hand if you don't know. Sherry, that's where God made these promises to Abraham. And we're going to talk about the promises that he made and about covenants. And secondly, God's choice of Israel as his people. Okay. God chose Israel not for anything they had done. And we're going to see that is a picture of grace. Here's the Abrahamic covenant. Let me explain what a covenant is. I'll give you a lawyer's definition. It's a contract. A covenant is where two parties got together. This was in old times, Tim. And one person would promise to do this, this, and that, and the other one would promise to do that, that, and this, okay? And to solemnize it, that means to make it serious, they would kill an animal and they would split it in two. Isn't this weird, y'all? They would put parts, half of the animal on one side half of the animal on the other side, and they would walk through it together. And what they were doing when they did this is saying, if either of us breaks what I just promised you, it should happen to me what's happened to this animal. Y'all see how serious a covenant was? And it required both parties to the contract, both parties to the covenant to walk through. Let's look at Genesis 15 and see what happened when God made a covenant with Abraham. Verse 12, and this is in Genesis 15, 12. It's up on the screen. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. My dad used to say he was put under anesthesia. My dad was a doctor. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. I guess he was having kind of like a bad dream or a vision. And then I go over to verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven. And a burning torch that passed between the pieces. And on that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, so on and so forth. I'll make a great nation. I will bless all the peoples of the world. I'll give you a territory. So where was God when that covenant was being made? What does the writer tell us? What does Moses tell us? God appeared as a little torch and he went through those pieces of the animals but where was Abraham? Huh? No, he wasn't. He was laying on the ground asleep. Don, that's a picture of grace. Abraham never performed anything. God did it all. God made all of these promises unilaterally. Abraham promised nothing. He was in the zone. He was asleep. A dark terror had come upon him. He promised nothing. Do y'all see how significant this is? It was God saying, "Abram, Abraham, I'm going to promise you all of these things, and you didn't even show up to walk down the deal with me. That is a picture of grace. And then we see, and my dad loved that passage. If you'll go into my office, you'll see a picture on the wall, and you go, what in the world is that? And it's my dad's painting. I should have brought it out here today of a rendition of this Abrahamic covenant where well, you see this little torch. And then dad put it at the top of the painting in there. You'll see an alpha in an omega. He was just saying, the Father was present, the Son was present, and the Holy Spirit was present at that moment. Abram did nothing, and yet God loved him, God promised to him. And what are we told in Romans 5, 8? God commended his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. Before you ever did anything, when you were a no-good bum, okay? Some of y'all were no-good bums. I was a no-good bum. Some of us still are no good bums, all right? Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is grace. Then we go on to God choosing Israel as his people. This is in Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9. You might think, well, why did God choose the Jews? What did they do? Oh, man, the Jews must have been real important. I hear people, well, you know, Jews are real good at studying stuff. Yeah, they are. But did God choose them because they could study real well? Did God choose them because they recorded stuff real well? That's not what the Bible tells us. The Lord did not set his affection on you. This is Moses writing on you, Israel, and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. He says, you were the nothing of the nothings. And it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your ancestor that we just read and he brought you out with a mighty hand and he redeemed you. And y'all, he has brought each of us out with a mighty hand and redeemed every one of us who had put our faith in Jesus. If you can agree with that, say amen. amen. And he goes on and talks about what happened and they go out. This reminded me, and I wrote at the bottom of the slide there Ephesians 2 8 and 9. For by grace ye are saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I feel like I left something out. I don't, maybe I didn't. Doreen says I didn't. She's my grace lady. So anyway, it was all grace, okay? It's by grace. I can't, I can't do enough good things. Kathy, you can't bake enough cookies to get that grace, all right? Can't help enough in the kitchen. Can't help enough in the nursery. Can't do all this good stuff. There's one thing you can do. Receive God's gift to you of his precious son. That's all you can do. And what a great thing to do. All right? So, anyway, this is what Peter was thinking of. He was thinking of these things about grace. He had understood God's grace because he had denied Jesus three times. And how did God give grace to Peter? So many ways. But one way he showed up, he just says, Peter, do you love me? I do, Lord. You know I do. Peter, do you love me? I do, Lord. Do you love me? I do, Lord. He said, then feed my sheep, take care of my church. Take care of my my sheep. That's what he told him. Peter had experienced grace, and he knew probably he was so confused when he saw the suffering of Jesus. And that's why he talks about this. The prophets, he said, they foretold of the suffering and the glories of the Messiah. I thought that was so interesting. Where do we see the suffering of Jesus? Let's turn over to Isaiah 53, 1 through 3 that's up on the board if you don't have your paper Bible with you. And listen to this, who has believed our report? This is Isaiah writing, 600 years before Jesus. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. I think that's so peculiar. Sounds like Jesus really wasn't very attractive. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we would desire him. He is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised. We did not esteem him. Isaiah is prophesying of the way God's people, who God had chosen because he loved them, how they had rejected Jesus when he came and saw him as a a nutcase and as ugly and as not to be esteemed, all right? And it goes on, for surely... He has borne our griefs. Think about Isaiah writing this. What in the world could have been going through his mind? He carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. All right? The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray. Boy, this is me. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on favor, on, I'm sorry, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of favor, the iniquity of all of us. Y'all ever wondered what Isaiah was thinking when that was coming out of his pen? He thought, what in the world am I writing it was 600 years before, and he's writing, and he thinks, who am I writing about? What is this about? And Peter remembered those things as Peter saw Jesus suffer and get beaten, and as he saw them come to Garden of Gethsemane and arrest him. And Peter was confused like we get, and he grabbed a sword and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. And uh, he did, he then probably at some point in the night, he remembered he was bruised for our transgressions. He was wounded for me. By his stripes, I'm healed. Peter began to get it and understand, and he's writing to us in 1 Peter chapter 1 telling us the prophets told all about this. They told all about grace. They told all about the suffering of the Messiah. It was all in there. And then he goes on to verse 12. This is 1 Peter 1, verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering things which Now, have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven the things which angels desire to look into. This prophesying, the prophets that wrote those things realized in the moment that it wasn't just for them. They probably wondered who it was for. And Peter's saying, It was for you and for us and for me. Isaiah and Daniel must have wondered, as I said, of whom they were writing, Daniel saw it at the end of the ages. I, I love uh, that passage that we read in Daniel about the ancient of days. Are you all familiar with what I'm talking? There, Daniel is. He's in captivity. He's in Babylon. He's wondering, God, have you forgotten your people? Of course, he knew Scripture and he knew God had not forgotten His people. Because Daniel even cites later when he says, "Lord, I know you're going to show up on the seventh year, seventieth year. I'm waiting on you, Lord." And he says, and I watched till thrones were put in place. This is Daniel 7, 9 through 10, where Daniel really is seeing, guys, the end of time. So now we're looking through Daniel's eyes at the very, very end of things. I watched till the thrones were put in place. The Ancient of Days was seated. Glory, right? Come on, Michael, give me a glory. And his garment was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, his wheels a burning fire. A fiery fiery stream issued and came forth before him, and thousands upon thousands ministered to him. Tens of thousands times 10,000, I think that's a million if my math's right, stood before him, the court was seated, and the books were opened. Glory is your name written in the book of life. Are you going to be in that book, and I'm going to go in and out of Spanish, y'all, because we have some folks where their first language is Spanish. I've never done this with this group, but I want the gospel to be heard clearly, the details, so y'all just pray for me as I do that. Mysteries were revealed to Peter. He saw the mysteries up in the house of Simon the Tanner. Remember, he saw the sheep coming down with the unclean animals. Peter knew that we were all to be included, yet he got confused. Uh, He was a covenant mixer, Doreen. He he got confused about, you know, should we be wearing prayer cloths and get circumcised? Or, you know, do Christians have to do this list of do's and don'ts? And then yet he would then go and he'd understand grace. And we're kind of that way. We bounce around, you know, and that kind of thing. And he said that angels look on in wonder. And I remembered Peter's confession, and I want to kind of end with this today, and I'm going to ask you, have you made this confession? We know that uh, they got to a point where people were leaving Jesus. In John 6, verse 66 through 68, it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. If you believe that Jesus has the words to eternal life, I just want you to say, amen, I believe. Amen, Amen, I believe. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. Desde entonces, I'm reading now exactly what we just did. Muchos discípulos, discípulos suyos, se volvieron atrás y ya no andaban con él. Jesús preguntó a los doce También ustedes quieren dejarme. Simón Pedro les respondió Señor, a quién iríamos? Solo tus palabras dan vida eterna. Nosotros creemos y sabemos que tú eres. El Santo de Dios. El Mesía. I'm going to put it in Mesía because it's not just Santo. La Mesía de Dios. Este es una pregunta que cada persona aquí tiene que preguntarse a sí mismo si usted ha confesado eso al Señor. Y'all didn't know I could preach in Spanish. My first sermon was in Spanish. We know this, that in Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No hay distinción, dice la Biblia en Romanos capítulo 3, versículo 22 a 23. No hay distinción personales de personas. Todos pecaron y están faltos de la gloria de Dios. Cada persona está falta. Cada persona falta lo que, que necesitan de, de ser la persona que deben ser. ¿Me entienden? ¿Están Okay, Luis? He said, yep, yep. And so we know that all have sinned. All have fallen short of his glory. There's none righteous. No, not one. No hay ninguna, ninguna que no ha pecado. Y segundo, the second one in Romans 6, 23, we read that the wages of sin, that's the payment for sin, the salary of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, for our Spanish speakers en Romanos, capítulo 6, versículo 23 uh, uh, y adelante, dice que el pecado paga un salario y es la muerte. Este es el, el costo de, del pecado, es muerte. Muerte eternal, okay La vida eterna, en cambio, es el don de Dios. En Cristo Jesús Nuestro Señor, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. If you have not had a relationship with Jesus, you are bound for hell. You will be permanently separated from a God who loves you and wants to be with you. Amen? All right, and then we go to the third part. We have a problem here. Hay un problema, que todos somos pecadores, y el segundo punto es que Que el, el costo del pecado es la muerte. Aquí hay una, una solución. Here we have a solution. Romans 5.8. God commended his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Is that what it says up there? No, no, it's in Spanish, right? It says, pero Dios dejó constancia. Del amor que nos tiene. Cristo murió por nosotros cuando todavía éramos pecadores. Éramos not después de que nos nos sanó. He didn't clean us up uh, after we got cleaned up, okay? He died for us even while we were yet sinners. And then we have the great confession today that Ruby Sandlin and that Sarah Stratton have made. And that is this. You say, how, preacher, how can I get saved? How is it that a person is saved? You are not saved by your church membership. You are not saved by your baptism. You are not saved by helping an old lady across the street. You are not saved by any of the good things that you can think of in your mind that you can do. You are saved by one thing, says the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. He says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. And I want to say that now in Spanish so everyone knows, para que todos entiendan cómo es que una persona está salvada. In Romanos capítulo 9, versículo 10 dice, ¿Por qué te salvarás si confiesas con tu boca? Que Jesús es Señor y crees en tu corazón que Dios lo resucitó de entre los muertos. La fe del corazón te procura la justicia y tu boca que lo proclama te consigue la salvación. Eh, San Pablo dice que hay una cosa que le va a salvar y es de confesar que Jesucristo es el Señor y Salvador. Amén. That is the only thing that will save you. And that is what Ruby did today, or Ruby has done, and that is what Sarah has done. And we are going to memorialize that today by them coming to baptism. They're going to come to the baptismal font, and they are going to show a visual sign. I want to make it clear. Nothing here is going to save them. They have already been saved. The moment Ruby over time thought, this seems real to me. There's something real about this. I'm hearing this, but I don't know. And I'm scared. And this seems silly. And at some point she said, I need to do this. I need to say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. You did that, didn't you, Ruby? We sat and talked about it. All right. Sarah did that. And at that moment in time, they were saved for time and eternity. They received the Holy Spirit of God, all the Holy Spirit they were going to get. All right. They got it all right then, and God began a work in them that he is going to complete. Amen? So that is the message that Peter gives us today. And we're not going to end on that message. We're going to take that message now right up to the baptismal font, okay? So I think, Scott, you're going to take the uh, service from this point. And, uh, girls, y'all can go ahead and get ready. I think we need to have a prayer, too. Yeah, Randy, would you please stand and... Like pray a closing of that sermon. There's